Well, it's good to be with you on this first Sunday of Lent. And as we start this journey uh, over the next 40 days plus, we're invited to enter the wilderness uh, with Christ. And so to be intentional about stripping away the things that distract, the things that keep us from living into the fullness of who God intended us to be. And so before we jump in this morning, I do want to give you a moment to reflect on this question. Um, what are you bringing with you as you enter this season of Lent? Right? What, what emotions or what feelings are coming up for you when you reflect on what Lent means for you this year? Right? So I'll give you a moment to reflect on that and then, and then share that with someone next to you. Um, just for those of you online, feel, th- feel free to throw that in the chat as well. But what's coming up for you as we enter the season of Lent? I'll give you a moment. Well, I'm sensing that you all are feeling more reflective. <laughs> Anyone want to throw out something? What emotion or what feeling are you, are you carrying as, as we enter Lent this season? Fear? Apathy? Apathy? Distraction. Distraction? Anyone else? You know, for me, I'm, I'm feeling uh, a bit of hesitancy, you know, maybe even a bit of resistance. You know, we talked about this at our staff meeting, um, because part of me feels like we just went through an extended two-year journey in the wilderness, <laughs> you know, and, and when we thought we were ready to come out of it, we now have to intentionally jump back in for Lent. Uh, it kind of reminds me of what I experienced last summer um, when Rachel and I and our son Zachary, we hiked Angel's Landing in Zion National Park. Uh, it's definitely one of the most challenging hikes we've ever done. You know, towards the end, there are portions where there's only place for one person to get by, um, and you have to hold on to a chain so you don't fall off. I think got some pictures. Um, so I read a bunch of reviews that recommended you, you show up in the afternoon to avoid the crowds. Right, because it gets crazy when it's crowded, and imagine trying to like navigate that you know narrow thing with a crowd. And so that's when we showed up, and they were right. There was no one there. Like we were, we were the only ones hiking. But the only catch was it was over 100 degrees. <laughs> so we on the first set of switchbacks, um, Zachary I think almost had a heat stroke. But being the good parents we are, we told him, "You got this, bud." <laughs> right, shake it off. Let's go. Let's keep moving. Um, so we thought we just needed to get to the top of that and that we'd be closer. And it turns out that was just a quarter of the way there. People who were coming back down said, oh, you've got maybe like 30, 45 minutes left. And we're like, okay, I think we can do that. Turns out that was just the halfway point. And so we kept pushing through, which, you know, we ended up doing, and I'm glad we did. Um, it was beautiful. The view was amazing. Uh, it's a hike that we'll never forget. But I imagine that entering Lent this year might feel like those moments where I thought the hike was finished, only to discover there's more. And so I acknowledge that many of us have been wandering in the wilderness for the past couple of years, with the pandemic and disconnection, you know, with transitions in our own community, with the loss and grief that we've all experienced. And so it's okay if we need to engage Lent a little differently this year in a more sustainable way for ourselves. 
And however we might choose to engage this season, you know, we're still invited into a time of listening and transformation in the context of community. Uh, this is how Henry Nouwen reflected on Lent. He said, Lent offers a beautiful opportunity to discover the mystery of Christ within us. It is a gentle but also demanding time. It is a time of solitude but also community. It is a time of listening to the voice within, but also a time of paying attention to other people's needs. It is a time to continuously make the passage to new inner life, as well as to the life with those around us. And so our text for this morning recounts Jesus' journey into the wilderness for 40 days and the temptations he faced in his moments of vulnerability and weakness. And typically I've heard this text, you know, as an invitation to fight temptation, to not give in to selfish tendencies. You know, if Jesus could just quote some scripture and fight off temptation, then the least I could do is say no to chocolate, right? Or coffee or social media for 40 days. And giving up something with the intent of paying attention to God's intention is definitely an aspect of Lent. But as I reflected on the text this year, I noticed something else that stood out for me. That Jesus is actually embodying different expressions of powerlessness. In his responses to these temptations, he's choosing to be in solidarity with those who have no power. Those who have no food or material resources. Those who have no power in their society or communities. Those who experience suffering at the hands of others. And so he's foreshadowing the rest of his ministry and life by choosing to remain grounded and rooted in solidarity with the powerless. And so the question I want to explore this morning as we enter this season of Lent is how are we invited to embody Jesus' solidarity with the powerless? What would solidarity with the powerless look like for us. And in our gospel text, we discover that Jesus' own experience and choices model for us a path of solidarity with those without power. And so in verse 1, we start. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. You know, if we re rewind and take a look back at what happens right before this, you know, Jesus had just been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And while he's in the river, the voice of God acknowledges Jesus as God's son and that he's fully loved. He hasn't even started his ministry. He hasn't accomplished anything yet. But his identity is established and he's already fully loved, which I imagine might have been both comforting and overwhelming for him to hear and to take in. And then the spirit of God comes down on him like a dove, which feels like a moment of triumph and celebration. 
But then it takes an interesting turn because the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. And part of his journey in the wilderness is wrestling with his own identity and how he'll choose to live his life and engage the people around him. And so while he's in the wilderness, there's this constant questioning of his identity, both internally and externally. He hears a diabolical voice repeatedly say to him, if you are the Son of God, which is meant to challenge his identity. And so after 40 days without food, Jesus is famished. Right? He's, ex- he's experiencing the fullness of what it is to be human. And it's in this state of hunger that the devil asks Jesus to use his power to turn a rock into bread, which seems completely harmless. But Jesus responds with a quote from Deuteronomy that one doesn't live by bread alone. And if you take a closer look at the full context of Deuteronomy 8, there are parallels to Israel's own journey in the wilderness, which lasted 40 years. And this is what it says. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep God's commandments. God humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Therefore, keep the commands, commandments of the Lord your God by walking in God's ways. And so some of you might be familiar with the story about manna, which was this mystery food that God provided for the Hebrew people as they wandered in the wilderness. It would appear on the ground every morning, and they were supposed to gather only what they needed for that day. God's abundance was enough for everyone, so that no one needed to hoard, no one needed to keep any extra at the expense of others. And the importance of accessible food for all people was a part of God's instructions in the Hebrew laws which reminded them to feed the hungry, to care for the poor. That's what it looked like to walk in God's ways. And so when Jesus is making a callback to how one doesn't live by bread alone, he's speaking into the greater context of how human tendency is to hoard food and resources at the expense of others. And so Jesus, choosing not to use his power to turn a rock into bread for his own benefit can be seen as an act of solidarity with the hungry. And we see this lived out in his future ministry when he feeds the crowds. He teaches the importance of caring for the poor and the hungry. And so in Jesus' first temptation, his solidarity with the hungry invites us to share the abundance of resources with those who lack food and material resources, those who are powerless in accessing basic necessities for their daily life. Uh, there's an organization in town, it's called Keep Austin Fed, and their mission is to reduce hunger by connecting surplus food uh, with neighbors in need. And so based on their statistics, one in seven people here in Austin don't know where their next meal is coming from, and out of those people, one in three are children. And over 30% of food in the U.S. 
goes uneaten and usually ends up in landfills. And so at the beginning of this year, uh, we made a connection through a mutual friend and we got a chance to meet with the executive director of this organization to explore the possibility of using our property to house a walk-in fridge that would serve as storage for all the surplus food that's donated by restaurants or events. And they would set it up just outside here, right outside the building. And this would allow them to store the food while they find organizations or soup kitchens or food pantries that they could match the food with. And they're also planning to put a smaller free fridge uh, for people in this neighborhood to pick up extra food that the community can um, drop, drop in there. And so we're still working out the details, but this is something we'd love the opportunity to host and will hopefully happen later this summer or fall. But this is just one organization's attempt at caring for those who are powerless in their ability to fulfill their food needs. And so for us, what's our work? What's our invitation in being in solidarity with those who lack food, those who lack material resources? And during this Lenten season, we're invited to reflect on what solidarity with the hungry might look like. Maybe it's being intentional about our own food usage, finding ways to use our surplus to ensure abundance for all. Or maybe it's volunteering with an organization like Keep Austin Fed or other groups who are serving the needs of the hungry. And so Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. And then we pick up in verse 5. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so in this second interaction... Jesus is offered fame and power in this world. And remember, right before this wilderness journey, his identity was established as God's son, the coming Messiah, the one who would save their people. So if there's anyone who would be entitled to fame and power, it would be him. And this temptation appeals to the human desire for power and influence, which shapes the celebrity culture we're immersed in today. But Jesus rejects this offer because, one, the cost of aligning with the devil wasn't worth the cost. And two, this didn't align with his vision of leading by serving. He wasn't looking to hop on the influencer fast track. Instead, he was trying to be present with those who had no power or influence, those who were marginalized or oppressed, those who society considered to be at the bottom of the ladder. And we see this lived out in his future ministry when he kept refusing power. People were trying to forcefully make him their king, but he would go into hiding to avoid it. When he would heal people, he would tell them not to publicize it. For his entire life and ministry, Jesus chose an alternative path of downward mobility in order to remain with those at the bottom. And so in Jesus' second temptation, his solidarity with those who didn't have power or privilege invites us to also pursue a path of downward mobility, 
to consider how we might lay down our need for power and control and not lose sight of who we're invited to serve. You know, all of us have been following uh, the unjust and devastating war that's unfolding in Ukraine. And we clearly see a stark contrast of a Russian authoritarian who's pursuing power at all costs and willing to invade and destroy another country. And he's contrasted by a Ukrainian president who's desperately trying to rally his country and offer hope and protection, even though they're limited resources and capabilities. Now, I don't know President Vladimir Zelensky personally, or if, he's, or if we're just being exposed to a sensationalized version of him, but what he has embodied in the past couple of weeks seems to be in alignment with his beliefs about power and authority. You know, something that he said in his inaugural address when he was elected president in 2019 has been resurfacing recently, and this is what he said to his governing body. We will build the country of other opportunities, the one where all are equal before the law, and where all the rules are honest and transparent, the same for everyone. And for that, we need people in power who will serve the people. This is why I really do not want my pictures in your offices, for the president is not an icon, an idol, or a portrait. Hang your kids' photos instead, and look at them each time you're making a decision. He understood the pedestal that people put their leaders on. He is trying to create an alternative path and expression of power. And I know this comes at the risk of idolizing him as a leader, which he says he doesn't want, but I can appreciate him. You know, being in a position of high power and trying to choose a path of using his power, not for himself, but for others, where he isn't above it all, and he doesn't deserve preferential treatment just because of his position. And we've seen that he hasn't taken advantage of his power by leaving the country to save himself, but instead he has chosen to stay with his people in the midst of danger. And so for us, in this Lenten season, you know, maybe something we can explore and reflect on is our relationship with power. How are we driven by our need for power and control? And how might we consider letting go of power and privilege that we normally take advantage of so that we can serve others instead? And then we close in verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. In, the, in this final interaction, you know, Jesus is taken to the very top of the temple. And the devil flips the script, right, and uses scripture as the basis for this proposal. He cherry picks from a couple of psalms to make the case that if Jesus is really God's son, no harm can come to him, which would make for a very compelling and viral moment, right? I mean, that would be a very public way to prove his divine identity. 
And it would probably make it easier for people to believe what he was teaching. And so when Jesus refuses to test God in this way, he's choosing not to make self-protection his primary goal. He's essentially saying that he won't use his power in order to avoid pain and suffering. He understood that the path to bring healing and peace to this world would involve him taking on humanity's violence and becoming the ultimate scapegoat in order to end the cycle of violence and scapegoating. And his life and teachings would all center around this to the point where he would receive the cruelest form of suffering by being crucified in what was the ultimate act of solidarity with all who are oppressed and suffering. And so in Jesus' last temptation, his solidarity with the suffering invites us to find comfort in a suffering God, to be reminded that we're not alone in our suffering, that the goal of our journey is not to pursue self-protection at all costs, but to know that a suffering God understands our pain and walks with us through it. In James Cohn's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he reflects on how other theologians and thinkers have come to understand the cross. This is what he writes. The cross, in Martin Hengel's words, points to God's loving solidarity with the unspeakable suffering of those who are tortured and put to death by human cruelty. In the person and fate of the one man, Jesus of Nazareth, this saving solidarity of God with the oppressed is given its historical and physical form. The cross, written by Wright's Dorothy A. Lee Pollard, reveals where God's kingdom is to be found, not among the powerful or even the religious, but in the midst of powerlessness, suffering, and death. And Bonhoeffer was right. The Bible directs us to God's powerlessness and suffering. Only a suffering God can help. And that's the choice that Jesus made. Instead of using his power to take a shortcut to avoid pain and suffering, he put aside his power so that he could experience the full weight of our suffering. And so, Vox, as we begin this slow journey through the wilderness of Lent and towards Good Friday and ultimately Easter, the hope for us is that we would be reminded that we have someone who is in solidarity with us, someone who is in solidarity with our hunger, with our powerlessness, with our suffering. And as we're able to rest in the solidarity that Christ offers us, may we also consider what it means for us to be in solidarity with those who are powerless around us. Let me close with this prayer by St. Brendan. Help me to journey beyond the familiar and into the unknown. Give me the faith to leave old ways and break fresh ground with you. Christ of the mysteries, I trust you to be stronger than each storm within me. I will trust even in the darkness and know that my times, even now, are in your hand. Tune my spirit to the music of heaven and somehow make my obedience count for you. And we ask all this 
in the love of God our Creator, the solidarity of Christ, and the guidance of the Spirit. Amen.